Uh, what what are they saying? I don't know, but they got a lot of guns, man. Look at all those guns, man. They don't look too happy either. Greetings, programs. Welcome back to the RPG Mainframe. That's got to be the shortest intro of all time on Mainframe. <laughs> it's just my, my chair is creaky. My coffee is getting cold. And it just struck me. I'm ready. The thinking is ready. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome, new patrons. And thank you, everyone, for your ongoing support here on Runehammer. And this is, what, episode 37 of RPG Mainframe, and a little bit of a, a little bite-sized one today. We're going to be talking about how languages can matter in your game. So the reason that this topic came up is that this happened to me. So a lot of times, you know, I come at, um, at the mainframe, like it sounds like I know things about stuff, and then I talk uh, about them as if I've already employed the aforementioned wisdom in my own game. That is totally not the case. <laughs> in fact, I discover these things as a bumbler, um, generally during play, and this happened. So in the last year, there's been, I would say, three cases in games where language really came into play, and it's because of sort of what happened that this started dawning on me, not that I sort of had some kind of theoretical epiphany. One was speaking orcish, and uh, actually I had a character in our Cryfoth game where I fell in love with this orc warrior woman. And um, speaking Orcish was a big part of courting her evil. Well, he wasn't evil father, but he was he wasn't a gentle person. Let's put it that way. Anyways, it was a big part of it. Big part of getting a relationship built with this tribe of orcs that we were trying to employ. And without speaking Orcish, it wasn't going to happen. Now, more recently, we have had it with the Mykonids in my Gontelgrim game. Is that uh, when the Mykonids were first encountered? They're all speaking this really inhuman sort of series of vibrations and rumble sounds and and sort of like thuds and, and twitters, uh, odd little noises. The thing was is that the Myconids kind of rule these tunnels and in great numbers. And so the challenge ahead is that my players are starting to realize that if they just sort of, you know, blast through things and chop their way to victory, they tend to face incredible odds like huge forces against them. And so they're starting to, you know, take more tactical approach as far as their social presence in this world. And so when the Myconids presented themselves, this occurred to them. But without the Myconid language, the, the communication barrier was impenetrable because this isn't even like a humanoid race. This is a, a fungal race. You know, what? how are they even communicating, you know, partially with chemicals and stuff. And so it, it went a little bad at first when they threw a rock and hit a baby mic in it and so on and so forth. But later on, it wound up working out. And the linchpin 
of this scenario was the Mykonid language. And so that's what I wanted to talk about in this mainframe is how to make language matter in your game. And, and what I mean by matter is not what I would normally associate languages with in a game, which is they're generally a very uh, useful flavor tool. They make your world seem more alive and more rich and more detailed and more real. Right. Because in a large, diverse world, you have a lot of languages and the way that these languages uh, are similar and, you know, sort of descend down a, a linguistic tree and so on and so forth is extremely realistic and all this good stuff. When characters are created, they have a few languages they speak. But if you guys are like me, if your games are like mine, you know that, sure, you take three languages when you create your character and then everyone just speaks common. There's there's not a lot of other stuff going on. Um but for the first time this year, really, language was mechanically important to me a couple of times. And that's actually the thrust of the podcast that I wanted to talk about today, is that languages are of minimal use when it comes to creating flavor in your world. Because unless your players can actually speak an alternate language, which would be really cool, <laughs> they generally are just a sort of a side detail, right? They're, they're no more interesting than, say, um, the style of clothing or the style of tailoring or even the style of cuisine in a world, right? It's an interesting detail, sure, it's really cool, but it doesn't really add a, a sort of sense of teeth to your game. And so what my suggestion would be is that you introduce situations where the language is the linchpin to the situation. So you could almost make it binary. You can almost say, if the characters can figure out a way to speak draconic, these dragonlings or these dragon minions or this race of dragon people or even a dragon itself will suddenly respect them. But this is the only term upon which the dragon will respect them. It, it lives a life of linguistic sort of centralism, right? It's, it's linguistocentric in its, view, in its worldview. And so those who speak its language, it sees as civilized and as worthwhile. Those who do not, who do, who do not are food. That's like the really binary way to choose it. And so instead of the players needing, you know, sort of fire gear to go down into the lava lair, which is, you know, one of the oldest sort of lock and key mechanisms in any game. Instead of that, they need to learn draconic to address this dragon or this, this sort of species of dragon kin. And it's the very term upon which these sort of creatures will ally with any other creature. They only speak their language, and anyone who doesn't is their enemy. And so the players are forced on a new and interesting sort of course, which is not to acquire gear or an item or a key or even a spell to unlock the next sort of block of gameplay. They need to get a language. And how does that happen? Well, just like it happens with any other loot quest, right? They need to find where it can be acquired and how. And then once they have that information, they pursue that information, sometimes in their own way, sometimes on a little bit of a railroad. And then here they meet, you know, this weird monk who's been living up near the lair and hiding in the rocks and listening to the dragonkin over the years. And he's learned their language and he can secretly teach it to, you know, the, this group of adventurers. You know, maybe that's a new element you could add is that the language is coveted, that the dragonkin not only are exclusive in their linguistocentric worldview, but they teach no one this language. It is sacred to them. So this monk or this hermit has hidden and he has against their wishes or against, you know, without their even knowing. He's acquired the language and he's willing it to teach it to others because he wants sort of there to be harmony in this valley. He wants the dragons to stop terrorizing mankind. And the only way to do that is to speak their language on their terms. 
And so what I would suggest to you is consider just, and you only need, you know, one or two languages. It doesn't have to be like equipment, which is this huge sort of catalog, right? You need one or two languages that are clutch during a block of gameplay. And this could be, you know, two or three sessions, which in my game can be up to, you know, five, six weeks because we play every other week. And so in calendar time, it's quite a lot of D&D time, even though in your game it might be somewhat compressed. But still, you get a lot of fun mechanics out of one interesting linchpin, which is your language. Instead of just, oh, yeah, by the way, okay, here's an orc in the in the market. So I'm going to use, I'm going to talk to him in orcish and hope to get a discount. You know, that's another one that often comes up. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you speak, you know, Brooklyn orcish. That's cool. I grew up over there. Here, why don't you, you know, buy this monkey meat at half price? <laughs> so I know it's a simple concept, but it's like a lot of my social encounter concepts, which is, yes, let players freely role play. Let them, you know, even occasionally when a fun conversation is happening, they can sort of crisscross turns and it gets a little bit amorphous. You break the turn rule. Because conversations don't follow turns. Sometimes they get a little, you know, more heated and exciting. Let all that happen. But don't relegate language to that department of the game. And I think just in general, social encounters are better off not relegated to that department of the game. I think that the formless conversation element of the game is most fun when it doesn't have a bearing on much. It is almost a meta discussion. It's almost out of game almost out of character, that's when that formless, fun discussion happens. Guys, what are we going to do? You know, well, I think, I don't know, this last game I did, we blah, 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 and then this whole sort of real-world conversation unfolds. Whereas what I'm suggesting with most social encounters and with language usage is that this is a moment when staying in turns is critical. This is a moment where, yes, role play is always encouraged, but the use of language is a combat or peril or danger mechanic just like social encounters, can be very danger-oriented. And anytime there's danger, you're strictly in turns because time becomes compressed. You confine the player's options. Remember how trap theory works. You lure them in, you confine them, and then you, you spring the trap. And it's no different with this language mechanic. You bring them in with a lure, something they have to do. They have to address the dragons in this example we're working on. They have to find a way to stop the dragons or to parlay with them or ally with them because they're undefeatable. They're too powerful, especially if it's like a Durathrax type character. That's the lure. The second one is you can find them. You need to put them in a heated situation where the use of this language is not only critical, it's time pressured. So you can have any kind of timer as this language encounter is about to unfold. But what you don't want is, you know, well, we have about a month in spring where we can go talk to the dragons. That's not going to be exciting. It might actually even happen off camera if you do it that way. It might be like, yeah, you go up the mountain and you wind up talking to Dorothrax, you speak Draconic and it all works out. That's a little bit sad to me. To me, it'd be more exciting if they go and they try to address Dorothrax in her lair. And she misunderstands them at first and just begins a battle. It, it just begins as a dragon combat. And their use of the language is part of that combat. Now you're talking. Now that is confined, time pressured, and dangerous. But their use of language can be a clutch component. Maybe some of the minions don't hear. Or maybe there's a roar going on. Maybe the, the mountain is collapsing and there's no time to really parlay with Durathrax in a meaningful way. Who knows? But 
What I'm suggesting is that social things like languages in particular are the most exciting when they're used in a time pressure confined environment. And then it's really fun. Now, from that moment afterward, of course, you can open it up. Maybe the, the heroes talk in draconic to several dragonkin from that moment on. And that happens off camera, as I like to say, or in a montage. Right. And it's no big deal. But that no big deal phrase that reveals my thinking right there which is that the languages aren't a big deal now. It's not really part of the core fun. And this podcast in particular is about making a language part of the core fun. And so I think it's about that moment. And anyone here uh, who listens here on Runehammer, who's a world traveler, knows that moment when you're in a, a, a country that doesn't speak your language. There's always a moment if you travel at length when you feel comfortable speaking at least the rudiments of that local language with a little bit of a sort of a faked accent, like you've heard it enough, you can say hello and goodbye and thank you and please with some, you know, some uh, capability, some competence. And when you feel that moment, it's a very magical moment. It feels amazing. And the way people interact with you are very different. And that's the moment to me that would be the most fun to bind into a specific encounter where language is the linchpin of a combat or danger encounter. Now, remember, danger is a big term. It doesn't always have to be combat. I know that a lot of you guys out there don't have combat-heavy games, but you can still have danger-heavy games. The world can be very dangerous without just battling foes. There's a lot of nature out there. There's a lot of instability. There's a lot of terrain. There's a lot of weather. There's a lot of hidden forces and subtle presences in this world to play with. And so if that's how you prefer to confine and create danger, then definitely take that option. But the language, once again, is the linchpin. Now, this is a really simple concept, but I think it's worth thinking out word, word by word. As a lot of my podcasts, I think that the fundamental concept can probably be said in one sentence, but I think it's very useful to run through the motions. Um, uh, we were talking on Discord last night, and one of the, the terms used was like doing reps. Is that, you know, being a game master and creating adventure content, a lot of it is just doing reps. It isn't that you're going to sort of figure it out and have this ray of sunlight come down on you, and then you're now you're going to be an awesome dungeon master. It's, it's just like a muscle, and that muscle will be developed by doing repetitions. It's running games and playing games, and not just running. You've got to also be a player, so you know that feeling of waiting for your turn. You know that feeling of having a great idea and then the dice don't cooperate. You know that feeling of feeling like you're doing the same thing every turn and being a little disappointed. You know the feeling of like, oh man, I thought that NPC was going to be clutch and I put all this time into it and now I'm over here and the whole battle has changed. Knowing those feelings as a player is a big part of accommodating them and making things more fun when you're in the dungeon master's chair and you learn it by reps. And it's the same with languages. So I didn't want to shake the pillars of the earth with this podcast. I just sort of wanted to tell you guys the experience that I had with speaking Orcish in Cryfoth and then with my players learning the Mykonid language recently, um, a couple sessions ago, and, and just how clutch that became. And it just made me think, oh man, this, this is something that could be fun in a lot of people's games. And maybe it is. Maybe you guys are already ahead of me. But to me, it was a real epiphany and my favorite kind of epiphany, which is one that happens during the unexpected elements of playing. Not sitting around and wringing my hands in isolation and thinking, hmm, what's brilliant? 
what could be really smart? <laughs> because I tend to come up with very little when I do that. It's, uh, it's sitting at the table or playing online um, is where these sort of moments tend to happen for me. You guys, episode 37 of the RPG Mainframe is going to wrap up 2018. Can you believe that? Tomorrow is New Year's Eve, and then we're looking at a brand new year. Now, I want you guys, I want, I want to uh, ask you to brace yourselves. So tighten your shield belts and uh, grip your sword with tenacity. Because for 2019, I kind of want to restructure Runehammer. And it has a few different elements to it. And I just want to tell you right here. First of all, YouTube is coming back. I am doing 12 videos for 2019. I'm going to do one a month. And they're going to be more like films than videos. I'm going to really try to up my game. And I've been inspired by some filmmakers I've been watching lately that are not on YouTube. And I really want to make some lasting content instead of this sort of vlog content. And I really want to show my filmmaking capability. And so look forward to that. I'm going to be doing these 12 videos in 2019. They'll be longer format. They'll be sort of very crafted and, and I hope really meaningful for the RPG community at large and lasting. That's my real inspiration word for YouTube in 2019. So, you know, I, I hope that's going to be awesome. I think it will be. I'm really excited to do it. Now, secondly, it's going to be a restructure here on Patreon. Now, I've noticed that, you know, there's a little bit of volatility on Patreon. And um, you guys know that I sort of work from the right brain. So every month and every week is a bit of an adventure. You know, how are the podcasts going to come together? And what will I do for the next RPG mainframe intro? Hmm, I don't know. And, you know, should I put out some more print and play assets? Should I publish games for these guys? You know, these, these guys are my peoples, my shield wall. How can I deliver the most value in return for their generous support? And this is a problem I work on constantly. And so what I want to do is improve that sort of relationship. And I think what I might wind up looking at is compressing the tiers into sort of two options. I would like sort of a, a low option that's affordable and a high option that's an immortal. And the low option, I, I think I'm still going to do podcasts, but I think I might um, do them a little less frequently and do them better. And kind of like YouTube, I'm, I'm really wanting to up the lasting quality of this stuff. So look forward to that. And then I think we're going to see a bit more of a publishing loop happening on Patreon. As you guys know, one of my if not my favorite, I think actually with a capital F, my favorite Patreon is Two Minute Tabletop. The value I get from him and his work, the relationship that I have with him, the, the very personal feeling relationship, the fun of the patrons, the tone of the whole thing is just fantastic. And I really, I, I admire him. And I look up to Two Minute Tabletop as a model for how I would like to do Patreon. Now, I know that podcasts are really interesting, but honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm just sort of doing a podcast because I'm supposed to do a podcast. The thing that I really want to do is always just make more things for RPGs. I want to make more maps. I want to make more game variants. I want to make more art. I want to make more heroes, more, more pre-gens, more adventures. And I really think that should be the guts of Runehammer. And a lot of you guys have told me this a million times. When I ask you, what do you really want out of Runehammer? Very few people say, oh man, tons more podcasts. <laughs> what I hear the most is playable material. 
playable material. And the other big one is the, the, the privilege or the invitation or the chance to play test material, early material, or to play in a game directly with me. And so that's what we're going to be, I think, just bringing Patreon around to is I want to sort of play with you guys a little more. I want to publish more things for you. And, you know, those things might be appearing on drive-thru as well or whatever, but it's it's the, the dream of making more and more stuff all the time. That's the thing I do when I'm at my most natural, my most me. <laughs> and I think I can do a great job at it. And that means art for your games. That means adventures. That means characters. That means uh, study hall uh, where we can work on your current RPG troubles or, or prep or, or whatever your, you know, exact new challenges are. And also getting you guys early material before it's really done so that you can play test it and get your names as play tester credits in the stuff that I publish. I think that I really underestimated that. And so I think this is where we're going to go is more right down toward the guts of the hobby, which is the stuff. And I've also I, I don't know if everyone's on board with me here, but I'm just going to have to put my my foot in the sand on it a little bit. I really am enjoying using Roll20 and Virtual Tabletop. I don't enjoy Roll20 because it does math. I don't like that rules are built into it. I never use any of that stuff. It's basically just a chat room where it's really fun and easy to build compound images that are maps and move tokens around. That's really all it is. And a dice roller. And so I know that there's some other options out there for VTTs. And so far, I'm not interested in them because they just have too many buttons and they want to do too many things. I don't want to play a community video game with a chat room. I don't want to do that. I just want a table, just like at home. And so my support you're going to see for the VTT is going to keep going up, just like the recent Warp Shell map kit. That's almost exclusively for VTT use. I mean, you could print it out and so forth, but really it's coming from the virtual tabletop mindset. And I'm going to embrace that. And I'm not only going to embrace it in like things that I'm creating, but I would like to get some of you guys in there playing with me and others on Roll20 and just getting to know each other a little more. And let's press this whole thing forward. And also, I'm going to be doing a lot of commissions in 2019 because A, they're super, super fun. And B, they've been paying my rent lately in a way. And so you guys are going to see a lot of that continuing. And a lot of times, depending on the deal, I can just sort of give some of that work to you guys once I'm done. The commissioners often don't have any exclusivity on what we work on. And so I can just kind of slide it over to my patrons or my patrons. I like that. (laughs) What is that giant robot? It's eating Thor. That is patron. (laughs) Why is it eating Thor? That got weird. Anyway, I just want to sort of help you guys brace yourselves to see changes. I know that, uh, you know, we've had a ton of fun in 2018, but you guys know how I am. I really believe in seeing a project through to where I feel like I can nod and dust my my shoulders off and walk away and go to the next thing. And I think that's what's about to happen with this next uh, sort of transfer. I think we're going to see this year's version of the Patreon sort of change, and we're going to see a new version for next year. And I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing it. It's been so much work, and especially during winter is where I just work all the time. But by work, I mean, you know, have fun and do awesome RPG stuff. (laughs) But long days doing lots of art and and lots of writing. And I want to just keep doing that. I think that's 
where I'm at my best. So look forward to all that stuff and brace yourself because we're going to see some changes coming. RPG Mainframe has been a blast. Um, I really planned on doing about 20 episodes of RPG Mainframe before sort of running a little bit thin on truly innovative topics. And we've made it to almost 40 episodes. So that's just like wild and crazy. That's about it for today, you guys. I'm just getting my liver braced for tomorrow night and looking forward to see old friends, new friends, and celebrate the coming of a new year. I know it's cheesy to to think about New Year's resolutions and to think about like significant change in one's life coinciding with a calendar new year. It's a completely, you know, a, a holiday invented by the military industrial complex, right? <laughs> but, you know, for me, it is a useful moment of renewal and of change and, and sort of renewing my vows to myself, you know, like I know it's corny, but it's like getting back in the gym on the attack. Not that I've really been out of it that much, but getting back on the attack, you know, getting healthy, eating good and, and renewing your attack on your hobbies and your passions and getting your skills to a higher level and all that stuff. That's what I want to do. I want to get better at all this stuff and I want to just like bring you guys along with me and keep learning from you guys and my players, which is my primary source of inspiration and learning really. So I just want that to keep going. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. It's going to be an awesome year and just I can't say it enough. Thank you so much for your support in 2018. It has basically kept me alive. (laughs) I have heat and sandwiches because of you guys and that is not an exaggeration. The sales curve on Index Card RPG Core, you know, definitely has a point where it sort of plateaus and slightly descends over time, like all products, right? And since I'm terrible at business, you know, I haven't really grown its reach into bookstores and all this kind of other stuff because I just tend to spend my time on creativity. And that makes my Patreon become super duper important for my survival. And so if you guys ever feel like, you know, what's going on or is this really worth it or anything like that? If you like ICRPG and you know ICRPG Magic is coming and some other stuff, Xenomorph Dead Zone is almost done. And if you like the stuff that's that's coming out, then there is almost no better way to keep it coming and to help me out than to be right here on Patreon. So thank you so much, you guys. I am in your debt. It is a blood debt and it shall be paid. <laughs> all right, guys. Happy New Year to all of you guys. Good Yule. May your dice roll high, and I'll see you in 2019, something we generally refer to as the future.